this episode, I had the opportunity to speak with DJ, music supervisor, influencer, sommelier, and digital media strategizer, Lindsay Love. Key points addressed were Lindsay's career that has spanned over a decade in the music industry, serving as a DJ to some of the most elite venues around the world. We also looked at Lindsay's roles as a music supervisor, influencer, sommelier, and her most recent endeavor as a digital media strategizer for some of the most famous names in Hollywood. Stay tuned for my chat with Lindsay Love. Hi, my name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. and welcome back. I am your host, Patricia, and today I am sitting down with Lindsay Love. She is a DJ, music supervisor, influencer, sommelier, and a digital media strategizer. Um, You can locate more about her and what she's doing at www.lindsaylove.com. That is L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-L-U-V.com. Welcome, Lindsay. Hi, nice to nice to see you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on. And we were talking um, pre-production, um, and I was telling you that you're a first DJ. We've spoken to over 220 women, female-identified, non-binary individuals for this series. And we finally have our first DJ on. So I cannot wait to pepper you. Yay, with all the questions. For everyone listening and who may be new to our series, I'm gonna first uh, I'm gonna offer you a bio on Lindsay before I start peppering her with questions. But prior to that, a roadmap for today's podcast. You can follow along with the trajectory in which we um, form our inquiry out of. We'll first look at Lindsay's academic and professional background that kind of brought her to her current endeavors of being a DJ, a music supervisor, influencer, and um, most recently the the digital media strategist as well as a sommelier. Um, then we'll um, unpack what being all of those things means to her in her life. And we'll get into some of the industry specifics kind of based along what a lot of our audience members have asked um, in regards to Los Angeles and the New York scenes in, in music and how it pertains to DJs and kind of just some basic questions as a novice that I have, as well as maybe some music particulars that she can read us in on. And then we'll look at um, goals and plans that Lindsay may have over the next one to three years, the digital media strategizing um, position that she's recently embarked on. We'll wrap everything up with advice that she has for those of you who are looking to contact her, maybe emulate some of her success, things of that nature. So as promised, prior to uh, peppering her with questions, a quick bio on Lindsay. Lindsay Love labeled the DJ to the stars by MTV and a, Turntable Goddess by Victoria's Secret is a celebrity DJ, music supervisor, influencer, and WSET certified sommelier with a devout following. 
Love made a name for herself by spinning the hottest nightclubs, private events, and star-studded parties in New York City before relocating to Los Angeles and becoming one of the most sought-after names across the industry and around the world. Lindsay Love is favored in fashion, beauty, lifestyle, and celebrity circles. Some of her top clients include Bentley, Chanel, Twitter, Equinox, Spice Girls, Gas, Valentino, Paramount, Rachel Zoe, Naked Cashmere, CBS, Who, What, Where, Refinery29, Rodeo Drive, The Emmys, Victoria's Secret, Express, Maybelline, Kim Crawford Wines, and Elle, to name a few. So that's a massive list, um, Lindsay. I love that. It's so exciting. And I expect nothing less. I'm so, I'm so excited to kind of climb into everything that you've done in your past with DJing and stuff. But before we get to that, can you drop everyone that's listening into kind of a, a brief overview of what your academic background and early professional life was prior to your current endeavors? Yes, uh, I grew up in Boston, so I grew up on the East Coast, and both my parents were educators. They both worked in uh, the uh, public Boston public schools and then the uh, high schools, you know, the suburban high schools and so forth, and they actually worked on the Navajo Reservation before that, so wow. I spent a lot of time visiting there as well, which is... Um, yeah, which is really cool. But I grew up in Boston, suburbs of Boston. I went to school there. And then I went to, uh, first I went to Miami University of Ohio. I decided I wanted to get out of Boston, try something completely different. So I went for a year to Miami University of Ohio. And then I kind of missed home, which I wasn't expecting. And I ended up transferring to UMass Amherst and I graduated high honors from uh, UMass Amherst. And then I went on to uh, take, I finished my last year of college um, with an internship at Comedy Central in New York City. So I finished off nice. my credits at um, Comedy Central because I originally wanted to work in comedy and sketch comedy writing. So big transition, but uh, that was where I kind of started out everything. It's still a rowdy scene though. They both feel very rowdy, right? Comedy writing and the ones that I know, the comedy writers that I know are based out of LA and stand-up comedians alike. Yeah. It's still, it's very comparable to like the music scene as far as things are moving very quickly. Yeah, Performance nightly. Even in the corporate, like I was at Comedy Central, which is a very corporate company, but you know, the, the disposition of the people coming through all day is definitely really kind of wild. So I was there during the first season of like Chappelle's show and some of the, and Reno 911 and some of the big shows wow. too. It was really a cool time to be in, in comedy. Yeah. I don't think there's a bad time, but that sounds like an epic time. The Chappelle show um, really changed the industry. I'm wondering, um, so how did you do the transition? How, what was the great switch into music? Yeah. So when I was finishing up my internship at comedy, I kind of, I've always been a big music nerd. I mean, growing up, I was, my parents are both super hippies. I went to Woodstock and all of that. So nice. I grew up on these like incredible records. My vinyl collection today is everything they've collected through their lives. So I have this like unbelievable collection of all the best, you know, the Grateful Deads and the Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young and all that. So I grew up in a music household. So for me, music had always been a thread in my life. And as I was finishing the comedy thing, I kind of did an internal look and I was like, what do I really want to be doing? And I realized that music was calling to me and there was a job posting for a um, music development director at what a company that's still around called The Orchard. They do, um, they basically do all the digital music you know, on Apple, Apple Music and all that. They do a lot of cataloging for all kinds of artists, independent all the way up. So I went in there and I was this super young girl and I kind of went in and I just said, I went in for a secretary job and I kind of sold them on the idea that they really should hire me to be their, their kind of music development director, going nice. to festivals and conferences and so on and connecting with new talent and kind of weeding out 
um, some amazing musicians and things to get involved in the catalog. And while I was there, um, the owners of the orchard at the time were also working with a band called the Ravenettes, which were a huge rock band on Columbia Records. And I said, how can I get involved with you guys helping kind of grow that as well? So then I was kind of putting myself both in the corporate side of my day job and then kind of injecting myself into essentially their management team for this, this big, you know, growing rock band. And uh, that was kind of where it started. And uh, I actually am still close friends with that band today. They played at my wedding. And uh, it was just kind of this amazing kind of introduction on both sides, the talent side and then the corporate side of the music industry right away. Did you find that your, I mean, so did a lot of your techniques and what you started offering the industry start to change with the, like the natural evolution of what you were doing? Uh, when I first started at the orchard, it was about CDs still. So if that gives you any idea, it was really crazy because um, right at that time they were trying to, they were just starting to try and get all of the, the artists because remember a lot of these people were independent artists. So it wasn't like the Lady Gagas of the world. It was like these very yeah. new kind of artists. So they were trying to get them to get all of their music digital so they were trying to get them to get their cds placed online and it was right when apple music was opening up to letting like a full catalog of anybody get their music on apple because remember originally it was just apple was choosing which artists kind of could be on apple yeah. so this is when it was opening up to everybody so our job went from essentially just getting artists and their cds or whatever it was to getting all these people to transition into the new era of digital music so i really was kind of at the forefront of watching that entire thing unfold um and it was it was you know really interesting trying to get people to understand it's not that you have to give up your cds or whatever it's that we have to get you online too and uh, what a great world that can be and how it can reach so many more people and then you know it's singles and a whole new world of how music runs kind of absolutely and and deals for the artists their whole lives changed you know the, the different record deals and things like that attached to it so where did when did you start becoming um a dj like when did you start getting your feet wet with that yeah so i um from that job i moved into another job where i worked for a big music marketing agency they had lots of major clients from like liquor brands to kawasaki and you know all these different lifestyle brands and they wanted to start a music-based kind of marketing program so essentially i got hired it was a company based in chicago i was the new york arm to kind of create music events throughout new york city around up-and-coming artists so not people who have necessarily already completely exploded but more of the people People right under them that were like right on the cusp of full kind of explosion or what we thought at the time some of those people went on to be huge some yeah. of them you never heard of again but I'll, I'll take you through just a few quick ones at the time I was booking um, artists that now here's some of the ones you know Chromio um, Justice um, Future Islands you know there was a bunch of these artists that were just kind of like starting out so I was essentially reaching out and trying to find cool independent artists to um, create events around to tie in with these brands. So essentially brand marketing through music in New York City. So it was an epic job. I have to tell you, it was maybe my very favorite job of all time. It went mm. on for a while. And what happened was I connected with some really great DJs while I was doing this, including um, the late DJ AM, who was a massive club DJ. He's huge in the LA scene. He was, um, he kind of got famous for being engaged in Nicole Richie, but he was like a very revered DJ. He ended up, um, yeah. he was in a plane crash and I'm sure you heard about all 
the things that happened to him, but um, he became a friend of mine. And what was happening, and this is how I got started in DJing, is I was sending him a lot of music that I was finding. All these independent artists I was kind of collecting through my jobs. I would say, here, check this band out, check this band out. They're from Toronto or whatever. And he'd say, this is great. And then one day he turned to me and said, you know, you know a lot about music. Have you ever considered DJing? I said, oh my gosh, that sounds crazy. I'm such like a business girl. I can't even imagine trying to take on a talent job. And at one point, my company that I had been working for folded. So they ended the, some major funding situation. And I was looking for a new job in New York City. I was looking for that new corporate job. It was very niche, so it was very hard to find. And I'll never forget, I went in to interview advice one day for a job with them doing music marketing. And I stood outside in the snow after, and the snow was coming down and I said, you know what? I'm screw it. I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to go get the equipment that my friend DJ AM said. I'm going to call my friends who own a nightclub. I'm going to ask them if I can go practice during the day when the club is closed. And I'm just going to teach myself how to DJ. And I'm going to get use my vinyls and I'm going to learn the proper way and I'm going to do it. And there was like very few female DJs at this time. It was yeah. like, this was over 10 years. This was like 12 years ago. So mm. there was female DJs, but they were like few and far between. And I've always been somebody that likes to take on industries that are not necessarily um, known for being super female oriented. I'm just that person. I like to take it. I guess I like to take a challenge. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to try it. And so I went every day with my headphones and my stuff and I'd sit there trying to learn how to DJ and in the middle of this club with nobody in it in the middle of the day while waiting to hear if I got this corporate job, which I didn't end up getting. And in the time I was interviewing for all these corporate jobs, I started building up kind of momentum around my DJing. The club said, would you like to take a night? You got to do everything. You got to DJ, you got to get people to come out. And uh, it started to just parallel and pony and snowball from there uh, into where I am today. So I, I kind of just, it kind of just took over. And eventually I just said, you know what? I'm paying my bills and I'm making more money doing this than I did in the corporate world. So let's just keep going. And my parents said, Hey, you don't figure it out. You're going to be moving home. So I, I worked my butt off really. It's kind yeah. of just do or die. Well, and I want to climb into it now because there's, I think there's a lot of misconceptions and you just alluded to one and I don't know the current climate, but I do know as of like five years ago, well, I think that I do know of a couple in LA right now that are still doing it. But when people hear DJ, there's, first of all, the, the position has transitioned a great deal just with tech, you know, and what people are employing. There's completely different, you know, um, so, individual autonomous tracks, all sorts of things. But before we get into some of the specifics, the actual job, as you just kind of mentioned of DJ was supposed to, it, back in the day, like they did a lot of their own marketing for the club, for the night that they were doing DJing on both coasts. Yeah. So you really had to train yourself up in, you know, advertising, word of mouth. How did you start doing that for yourself um, back in the early days as opposed to how it's done? Now it seems like social media and a lot of things like that will take place. But back before social media was like the go-to for which club to head, you know, how are you doing that? That's so true. So, I mean, social media was still existed. It was probably more like MySpace and Facebook and MySpace okay. was very music oriented. So I actually had a really incredible profile. I, I probably, I would say I was the most quote unquote, you know, MySpace famous in the sense that I had a lot of um, eyes on there. And I think a lot of that had to do with all my work in music and it being such a music friendly profile. You went on it, I had a playlist playing, you know, so it was yeah. very um, conducive to that world. Um, but so that was very helpful. But the big thing was I just injected myself into the scene. I lived downtown. So I lived in New York downtown and I just 
injected myself. And part of this is just being super young, super single, and just kind of going out and, and talking to people and seeing what was out there. But I essentially just injected myself deep into the scene of getting the word out. I made my own flyers. I, um, I would call the club and say, I need you to do this, this, and the other thing. Uh, I was doing everything from start to finish. I was calling all my friends, texting my friends with the flyers. It was like a no holds barred kind of self campaign. And I mean, I was barely getting paid any money, but I just kind of kept my head straight. I didn't focus on money, which I think is important. I think when you start out, there's this conception today that you're supposed to be go from zero to 100 overnight. And it's okay to just start at zero and kind of just, you know, work your way up. And uh, I mean, I had to do a lot of work to make the money to pay the bills because, you know, I wasn't, I, you know, yeah. I would have had to move home. Um, but I was working overtime trying to get my little bits of money working maybe sometimes three gigs in one night. I mean, I would go from one club, play like a two hour set, march over to another club, play a two hour set. Cause you know, New York's open so late. So I was, you know, staying up, you know and drinking Red Bull to stay awake because I was so tired and I never drink when I DJ really. So I, I was very, you know, focused and um, it, it's a lot of work. It was a lot yeah. of work. Did you yeah. ever develop a persona early on or is that something that came later? You know, personas kind of blew up. Yeah. I feel like in the aughts, in the early aughts it became like this daft punk even though they're not DJs, this kind of like, you know full on costume, yeah. but it grew into that. Did you have your own persona when you began? I feel like I did because I was of the era that there were DJ names. It wasn't just like your, your classic actual given name, right? That's why I'm still Lindsay Love. Sometimes I look at it and I go, God, this is kind of corny being Lindsay Love still, but it's just who I am. You know, I mean, maybe not my personal home, but it's who I am as a, as a, a brand at this point. Yeah. Um, my DJ friend, DJ AM, actually gave me that name. And that was kind of how it worked, is that another DJ would kind of name you. Okay. So I just went with it, and it stuck, and it just uh, it just made sense. I was just always really friendly and talking to people, and I guess that was kind of what it was. It kind of rhymed, Lindsay Love. It was LL. A lot of people call me LL still. Um, so I just went with it. Yeah. Did it correspond at all with the style that you played in? And also, did your style change per venue? Did you kind of morph into the venue you were going? going into or did they expect you to bring the Lindsay Love style? That touches so well on everything in my career. So I would say like, you know, some DJs are just, they're known for one thing. Like when you think of Tiesto, you think of house music, right? Mm -hmm. Or you think of like, you know, um, some people, they're like really known for their technical skills. They scratch like crazy, you know, you think yeah. like Grandmaster Flash or some of these like really famous scratchers, okay? For me, it was that, and, and what I would still say is my greatest asset as a DJ is my understanding of how to place the right, to soundtrack my set around the room and around an event and around the people there and around the mood and the moment and the time of day. And I still do that today. So it's really for me, I've never used a set list. So I go into every gig and I just go with, I feel it out as I go. So sometimes you'll see me super focused because I'm trying to think of the next song of what, what makes sense which to me makes it so that it's never a stale set. You never hear the same set over and over and over again. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like that's been a, um, you know, a huge part of my career and why I've gotten such traction with so many different types of clients and clubs. Yeah, and that kind of drops into one of the greatest asked questions, um, according to Google Analytics, that I was, we were, my team was looking up to see kind of what the ethos of the entire internet was asking DJs. And one of them was, um, 
if given a choice to play a song that you know will make the crowd go crazy or play a song that you like that will get a lukewarm reaction, which would you play? And I'm guessing it's the crowd or would you at some point choose you? I feel like I do a little bit of both. I am, I I have to say that I have never fully, I don't want to say kowtow to just like the mainstream because I feel like that would just make me feel bored honestly um so I love to interject music that people aren't expecting or I love to surprise people by like jumping from a song that they love like that that you know that Justin Bieber track that's really hot right now Mm -hmm. but then do a crazy remix of it and mix it into maybe like an old school Prince song and then move it back into like ACDC and then bring it back to something current you know like Chromio or whatever so that's kind of been my thing so like I kind of feel like what I do well is touching on everybody's needs a little bit and you can't be a complete people pleaser in any job you know you're, you're always going to make somebody want something else and whatnot but for me I like to just run the gamut and kind of surprise people and surprise themselves so yeah it's a little both I would say well I'm starting from you you know you mentioned your beginning story of just going to your friends club and getting practice but I'm curious do you had did, did you have any mentors in the beginning aside from yourself and a, a lonely club and also do you have inspiration still that you draw from? Yeah. So that was actually, and still is one of the hardest parts. So DJing is such a solo career in so many ways. It's not like you have like a squad of, I mean, other DJs that are there to like mentor you a lot of the time. I feel like DJ AM was the first person who kind of took a chance on me in the sense of like, you know, really giving me that kind of boost to go after it. And more importantly, he gave me a bunch of like tips and tools, but he lived in California. I lived in New York. So it was kind of a remote uh, mentorship in that way. There were a few male DJs that helped me out in the very beginning. Um, I would ask them for advice or things, but I have to tell you, I actually think one of the hardest things was I started getting a lot of gigs, especially ones that other people might've wanted. It's very competitive. And so what happened was, especially with the male DJs, a lot of them chalk it up to, oh, they're just hiring her because it's a novelty, right? Which now 12 years later, not so novelty anymore, right? Mm -hmm. I've been DJing for 12 years, so haha. (laughs) But, But there was a bit of that feeling of like, you know, there was a lot of like competition. And so what happened was, sometimes you feel like as a talent, you almost get stuck. It was like, you got to this point where you're getting this work, but you're too scared to then go backwards and ask for help. Because if you ask for help, that it looks like weakness. Like I've gone to this point, but I don't know how to do this. So it was a lot of like self-teaching, self-navigating, sometimes even the very beginning, kind of a fake it till you make it, like just figure out as you go and get better. And it was like, people were watching me kind of learn as I went. But if the music's good, that is the most important thing and you can't teach that so i always had a great ear for great music and i feel like that's why i was able to thrive even when other skills weren't quite there and even today i would say there's things i could learn that i never really felt comfortable asking help for i never went to a dj school which might have been helpful the time it was very like novelty it wasn't something that a lot of people did so I kind of just felt like all right I got to teach myself so I just sit there yeah. with the vinyls listening over and over that <laughs> was crazy well plus those kinds of things change I mean that industry has changed so much you know that education it seems like everyone regardless of what schooling you have or haven't had would have to educate regularly well, um, I wanted to be taken seriously too that was another really big thing as a female yeah. I wanted to make sure that I learned pro- like properly so that's why I was really big on using vinyl and then vinyl with with the 
computer programs and all that. I already had like one thing against me almost being like a female DJ that they were going to say, oh, is this a gimmick or whatever? Mm -hmm. So I was like dead set on, let me do this the proper way. I'm going to show up to the basketball court with a basketball instead of a tennis ball. I'm going to make sure that I am like, yeah. you know, showing them that I know what I'm doing. What's been your greatest or whom, what or whom has been your greatest inspiration to date? Ooh, um, you know, from a personal standpoint, I feel like obviously, um, the artists that I worked with, the DJ AM, the Ravenettes, watching people that I cared about that. And they all really started from humble beginnings in a lot of ways. You know, they all really put in the work and put in the time. So that was on a personal level, very inspiring. On a kind of broader scale, uh, I actually remotely was in the same scene as Lady Gaga. So she kind of ran circles and, and kind of the same circles as me in New York City. We were not like friends by any means, but I kind of saw her from inception almost all the way through to the point that we actually played together at um, the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show in Paris. And we talked and we, you know, we connected and I was very friendly with her. Um, she's a godmother to a trumpet, her trumpet players, kids. And we had a lot of like six degrees of separation. And she was also, I'm, a, I'm Italian and um, she's Italian. She comes from Italian American family. And she's just kind of always had this very avant-garde kind of New York scene, New York kid running around New York vibe to her. And I felt like I really connected on that level. I really understood that. Obviously she went on to be much bigger than me, but I felt like watching her, she's been so honest about a lot of her struggles personally and professionally. She's been a great voice for the people. She's been such a strong and powerful woman. She keeps reinventing herself. So for me, um, professionally, I feel like watching Lady Gaga's career, and also she's a lovely person. She's just a nice person. Yeah. And so I love seeing good people thrive. Absolutely. Me too. And I feel like her documentary kind of um, got to some of that, that you just yeah. never saw. Even she, she does have a very authentic air, but I do think that that's eccentric, but that's kind of what makes her, you know, her. That's yeah. so, what yeah. makes every artist that right. Yeah. Um, do you have any proprietary mashups or remixes that you use, or do you kind of just function in a realm of other? Okay, so there was, I feel like I kind of drew a line in the sand at one point in my career. I feel like there's different types of DJs and this is where yeah. it got really interesting because at the time it seemed like it was just club DJs, right? Club DJs or like people like Tiesto who produce music and then they play it like a DJ live, okay? So there's like two types of DJs. Right. DJ AM was essentially a club DJ. It's not that he never did any personal productions, but he was famous for playing other people's music, mashed up, mixed up, remixed live at clubs. I was the most interested in that. And at the time, it made sense for me to be in the club scene. And at the time, I started trying to do some production of remixes. But to me, production, being a music producer, even just for remixes, is a very different world than like live club DJing. After yeah. doing a few remixes for a few clients, including the Ravenettes, um, which was with Columbia, which was a great opportunity, I said to myself, you know, where do I see myself down the road? And I always knew I wanted to have a family and I didn't want to be like, you know, doing the festivals when I was older and being on the road all the time, never being with my kids. Mm -hmm. I kind of drew a line in the sand at some point and I said, you know, there's this great world of corporate DJ gigs, meaning like with brands, fashion brands. And that was kind of who was gravitating to me and I was gravitating towards. They loved that I could dress up. I loved what they were about together. It was kind of interesting marketing for me, bringing back my marketing roots. So at some point I said, where am I, where am I going? Where do I want to be? 
And I kind of started to transition out of the club scene, which I felt like was essential to get me kind of the notability as a DJ or not, I don't know what the right word is, but um, I started moving into, you know, um, more of the corporate DJ world, which became bigger money, quality over quantity. I'll, I'll put it like that. It was like less gigs throughout the month. I wasn't working every night at a nightclub. I wasn't working till four in the morning. I might be working from seven to 10, you know, for like a Chanel or whoever it is. And that kind of became my new, my new normal. And that led into music supervision and all these other kind of uh, behind the scenes work. So I moved away from production. Okay. Where do you get um, your songs? Where do you get exposure? Where do you, where do you go? What do you listen to? I spend hours online reading blogs, music blogs. I'll do the, the general Apple music and just see what's like, what's hot. And then I'll do the, all the intricate music blogs. Um, I will spend a lot of time just downloading like a million remixes of each song I like. And then I literally listen through them and delete all the ones I don't like. So nice. I, I curate the best of the best. I, I, you know, if there's a song like, you know, Yummy by Justin Bieber, which sometimes I'm like, oh God, you know, I'll sit there and I'll download all the remixes of that. And then I will delete all the ones I don't like until I find these like perfect remixes to me that make the song that much better. And so that's kind of how I do it. I just kind of sit there and try and find, um, you know, all the best, best new music. And then I obviously have a crazy catalog of all the old stuff. I've been DJing for 12 years, so I don't even want to know. I've had to get like terabytes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, for sure. Do you, I'm wondering throughout the, in the past, I can't decide if which one I think you would be more applicable towards having an agent. Have you ever had an agent? Had has ever been prescribed for you to have an agent? And if so, in which endeavor, the club scene or more now the corporate? Actually interesting. So I had a lot of meetings early on with uh, DJ specific agents in New York city. And yeah. sometimes it was like, I wasn't enough of whatever they wanted. And sometimes it was like, I felt like they were trying to put me in the wrong zone. Like I was trying to tell them, this is where I want to head. And they were like, well, this is what we do. And the two weren't working. So I was the first to say, uh-uh, like I'm not interested. The hardest part for me is that I started on the business side and the corporate side. So I really understood the prescription of being kind of a talent management agency, marketing, all of that. So it made it very hard for me to work with certain people and let them kind of pushed me to the side and run the ship. It was like, nobody knows my business better than I do. So one year of my career, I went with an influencer specific agency. They wanted somebody that, and they're a major agency. They rep huge people. They didn't have anybody that was music oriented. They really wanted a music person. So when I went with them, um, I was looking to get more things like headphone endorsement deals. I was trying to branch into this whole new zone. And uh, I didn't really need help with the DJing. That was kind of like, I'm doing that. Now help me kind of get in music supervisor jobs and playlisting for Spotify. And that's what I wanted to be doing, being a hotel music supervisor. They didn't quite, it, they didn't quite know how to wrap their head around it. And additionally, um, they were kind of, I don't want to say screwing up my DJ flow, but they, they didn't understand the DJ world. So together, the two were not symbiotic and I eventually parted ways respectfully um, since then I've talked to people and each time I feel like you know what I just at this point 12 years in I feel like I get what I'm yeah. doing but that yeah. doesn't mean I wouldn't I always think if you don't know how to run your own business really effectively there's nothing wrong in knowing when to ask for help and to know who's great at that so I would be the first to say if you feel like you can't manage it absolutely reach out to somebody that seems like the right fit that can 
Nice. So I'm wondering, um, with getting into with the music supervisor, I'm, I'm hoping you can clarify a little bit of that role. You did just a little bit, you know, Spotify playlists, yeah. hotel music, um, curation management, things like that. But you can you can kind of define that term even more? Yeah. So I, I originally I called it brand music supervision and it, it kind of morphed into a bunch of different names, sound styling, sound design, music yeah. supervisor. What was happening is beyond just the playing live, there were so many moments. I call it like soundtracking moments. You know, even when my daughter was born, I had a playlist playing when she was born. So when I think of her birth, I think of her coming out to rumble by Link Ray and then like born to be wild. Like that's how I see almost the birth, right? And I feel like life is full of these moments or these, these experiences and music, the same way smell, kind of set this stage in your memory and your sensory memory of, of what's going on. So what was happening is a lot of brands started reaching out and saying like, can you help us soundtrack this moment or what whatnot? I did it for a lot of hotel groups. So I would help them with um, Spotify stations. You know, maybe uh, people were going in their rooms and they wanted a chill out playlist. They're there on a work trip. And so there would be in the room, they would, it would talk about, you know, I did this for the W hotels, um, Ian Schrager, public hotels. I was doing a bunch of different um, kind of playlisting of different types of like chill out, you know, at, at the W or whatever uh, for people to listen to when they were in their rooms or whatnot, or they're working out. Yeah. Then Equinox hired me in 2018 as their uh, Spotify music director. So I was essentially putting together all types of fitness playlists for them. So um, if somebody went on a machine, the goal, I don't know if they ever reached this goal because a lot obviously has happened, um, but was for you could take your phone and you could put it over like a, um, I forget what they're, uh, a barcode and it would pull up the playlist and then there'd be playlists for running or for lifting or whatnot that I was curating for them in 2018. Um, and I've had a lot of these one-off projects. I did it for major trade show in Vegas, all the music that was running through the trade show. So for all these fashion uh, projects in Vegas, I was doing all their music um, that was running through the trade show and then some of their online marketing. And then celebrity clients. I've actually had some um, celebrity clients where I literally curate music for them for their fitness workouts and so on. I've worked a lot with um, Spice Girl Mel B doing her fitness playlists in the past and uh, other clients like that. So Nice. Yeah. How do people find you or how do you, how do you connect with them without an agent? Do you, is it, I mean, you've been in it so long. I feel like yeah. word of mouth now, like a good, you know, source just happens. But in the beginning, did you just kind of search out certain industries or certain areas for opportunity? I think that it's definitely, I have to be honest, I'm like a crazy, I would say I'm like a hustler, really. I, I really hustle my game. Yeah. You know, I don't come from some of the people you see, like a lot of these celebrity DJs and it's no fault to them, but they come from these, you know, they're, they're kids of famous parents or whatnot. So maybe they're already in the mix. And um, I come from two teachers from Boston. So there was nobody in my family who was remotely connected to this world. And from a young age, if you look at what it said in my high school yearbook, it's like everybody knew that I was gonna go off and try and do something kind of wild, right? That was always a given with with me. And it was, I've always been just a, a, a crazy hustler in that way. I've always put myself out there and, and tried to go after things. My biggest thing that I've given, and I'm sure this will go in the end, advice is that you don't know until you ask. Now there's a level of asking, but you, you have to put ideas into the universe. And I, I know it's a like, secret, but you really do have to put stuff out there because a lot of times people just aren't thinking about it. I've literally pitched myself for most of the biggest things I've ever gotten in my entire career. Yeah. I've literally just told people, you know, have you thought about having me for this, that, and the other thing? And then they like, sometimes they just sit with it and it percolates in their brain and they come back to you and they're like, huh, 
I never thought you'd be like, that's perfect. Yeah, we could, that would be great. You know, that's been like, I would say 80% of my success has been me just putting stuff out there to people because they're just not, people just aren't really thinking about you. <laughs> you know, right. they Going on. No, I think that that's true for at least 90% of the people I've spoken with that have really not just broken in, but made tracks in their industry. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's absolutely true. I'm wondering um, how becoming an influencer and a sommelier has kind of played into the influencer things kind of organic. I feel like, you know, once you become enough of that figure that's in, you're at, you're at these massive attended events, it seems natural that people would want you to kind of serve as their ambassador. Yeah. Um, can you speak more to that? It's, that's been an interesting development because each, each media, each platform is so different. So when you have huge success, like I had really big success on MySpace because it was so music oriented. It was actually harder for me to transition it to Instagram. You know, Instagram was this whole new world and it was about these flat lay photos and it was a totally different kind of world. So, you know, that took me some time to kind of figure out what, how do I connect the dots here? This is now like I'm DJing, but then, you know, okay, it's about me taking a photo of, I immediately realized I wanted to capture what I was doing versus making content just for Instagram. Now I do a little mm. of both um, just to keep up with it, especially during, obviously we're in a quarantine. So I'm really spending a lot of time creating content, yeah. but you know, a lot of influencers, they're creating content for Instagram. I was kind of creating content around what I was already doing and trying to make it beautiful to look at and all of the things. Um, so yeah, that, that's been, it's unfortunately the only part that's hard about it is that there's so much pressure to have your social media kind of be so grand and grandiose and amazing. People are getting gigs on some levels based off that. And you know, that can be, um, can be challenging. You have to keep up with it even when you're exhausted with it and you're just like, listen, I'm a great DJ. Just hire me for my skills or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, there's such a tie-in now and, and the, the two are not separate and you have to like put so much work into all of the elements. I find that tough. It is. I mean, and the advent of the micro-influencer being at the, the nexus of those crossroads. I will say that the word around the kids in Silicon Valley um, you know, and Gen Y and Gen I following up on their heels is that um, the kind of polished Kardashian instant moment that was so exhausting for everybody to keep up with is like out. It's all about the reality, non-filter photo, like the real, real, which should lessen up on some of it. And also I don't like what it did for public perception of those generations coming up. Yeah. It was just as bad as the fashion magazines that had, you know, um, anorexic little white girls my whole life. So <laughs> I 100% agree there. You know, I had an intern that was a lot younger than me and, you know, you, you would hear not just from her, but just, there was this expectation that they had to go from zero to hundred, that they should be Kylie yeah. Jenner wearing Gucci shoes. They should be wearing Gucci shoes when it was complete. They're living at home. It's completely unaffordable or whatever the situation is. Yeah. You know, there was, there was this expectation and not at a fault of theirs. There was this expectation that, I have to get these things to match up to what's happening on online. And I felt like that pressure, like I never even was thinking about Gucci shoes, you know, when I was 19, you know, but there was this pressure to kind of like go from zero to hundred career wise, um, fame wise, appearance wise, everything that pressure, especially as a mom of a daughter, you know, is, um, is just, is disturbing. And I, I try to, keep my feet as authentic as possible. But you know, it's even for me, it's challenging at times, you know? Yeah, I'd like to see a fall of it. It's also just transparency. It's not bringing us closer as humanity. 
to have a whole bunch of, you know, I have plenty of beloved friends and colleagues and family members that put up hyper edited photos of reality that I'm like, girl, that's not you. I know it's not. (laughs) So it's fine. Um, it's, it's neither here nor there. I think it's just part of Americana iconography that's now headed in our rear view. Thank goodness. I want to turn towards your new digital media strategizing moment. You kind of dropped on me right before we started this, that that came into your life recently. And I'm like, Ooh, hot tip, hot scoop. So let's climb into whatever you can tell us about that. Yeah. So I, um, I've done some consulting in the back end with clients on their social media. Um, what's happened is because I've been running my own business and I haven't been with an agency, I've had to get up with the program all the time, understanding social media, understanding how to properly like manage my feed, when to post social calendars, getting verified, um, all the different elements of making your social media really fabulous. I've had to kind of understand for myself. And what's happened between that and then all the jobs I've done over 12 years with all these major brands, I realize I have relationships. So I could write to somebody at Twitter and hear back in, you know, half an hour because of my relationship with them or somebody at Victoria's Secret or Chanel or Maybelline or whatnot. And so I said to myself, wow, you know, I have this massive Rolodex. I have all these personal relationships that have grown and built and whatnot. I said, you know, it's great for me and all, but that might be useful for one gig here and there or whatever. I said, what if I took those relationships and found a way to monetize that for myself and also help other people connect and be the connector and and so forth. So a friend of mine who is a big Hollywood publicist, Casey Kitchen, she reps a lot. Of, she actually repped one of our good friends and actor, uh, Peter Fascinelli, who was in Twilight, Nurse Jackie, and all these great, great content and great uh, movies and film. He um, kind of connected us. And then me and her just grew this mutual respect long before this pandemic hit. We were talking about me helping her clients that she does traditional publicity for. She's doing all the, you know, Daily Mail or People Magazine or, you know, the on the red carpet, all that stuff and all the big high-end editorials. It was one of those things where she said, you know, why don't we kind of collaborate and help these people with their digital media strategy? A lot of her clients as, you know, as fitting. And so in more of a freelance fashion, I have come on board officially. Her PR agency, she went solo, is called Mark PR. It's based out of here in Hollywood. And I've come on board and more of a freelance aspect, but come on board as her digital media strategy director. And I am already, uh, I don't know if I can name the clients yet, but I'm working with some uh, very, very top high-end verified clients, helping them. I call it like the Ray Donovan of their social media. I'm like the fixer. I kind of come in and I help them. see all the things that maybe they're doing right. So many of these people, they have amazing talent, amazing content, but they don't necessarily know how to apply it to the platform that is Instagram or that is Pinterest or that is Twitter. And I kind of come in there and fix it up for them and help them understand how to better apply themselves. So that's what I've been doing. You're in good company. I mean, it sounds like there's, you know, the the clientele is similar to who it's been before, just more specifics. The Ray Donovan of of social media. That's That's epic. (laughs) I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, we're running out of time and I want to turn towards quickly a conversation that I've been having with everyone, given, as you've mentioned earlier, the current climate of the um, COVID-19 pandemic. And it's kind of allowed everyone to reassess, even people who had like this virtual enterprise. You have a huge prolific career based a large part in this kind of performance or oriented thing. So I know it must have had an impact on you, but I'm wondering if you've had a conversation with time for a conversation with yourself and moving forward as to how you 
might alter or start to edit um, what your life's work will be in the future based on what we're doing? Or are you kind of waiting until there's a return to normal and a vaccine and then going back out? So this has been such an amazingly interesting experience for me. Um, very challenging being a parent to a toddler during this quarantine is, is uh, really hard because me and my husband, he has a job and I've kind of taken on this new job plus all my other stuff that's still kind mm -hmm. of existing. Um, so we're bouncing back childcare all day long and making sure that she gets the best of the best because we want her to you know, still thrive during you know, being a little bit more confined. Um, so that's created a massive challenge between that and the house and the cooking and all of it. However, um, like I said, I'm like always five steps ahead and I'm such a hustler. So of course I decided to take it on myself to really move forward. These were things though that I talked about doing for a while. And this kind of like gave me the push to take the, rip the bandaid off. And actually it's, I've been, I would say kind of thriving in that way that I have ripped the bandaid off and I've dove straight head first into all these new ventures that I've wanted to take on this digital media strategy. I've been studying more about wine. I just love wine. And yeah. I think there's something interesting there, wine and music, they go well together. So, you know, there could be some interesting um, work there. And I'm, I've always been the kind of person who I talk about stuff, but I also, my husband says, you need to pat yourself on the back because there's a lot of people say they want to be a sommelier, but you actually signed up for the class and showed up and you took the test and you did it. And for me, it's kind of like that. I try and do that with the things I'm the most serious about. I get a lot of ideas, but when I'm actually really serious on something I put in the work and um, during this time I've taken every five minutes I've had to myself when my baby's napping or late at night after she goes to sleep and I sit there trying to you know get work done for my clients for digital media strategy because DJing right now in the way we know it is on hold and it's like a, it's like a bike you know I can DJ I can DJ any day till I'm 90, if people want me to, you never stop learning how to do a musical instrument or a talent or, or whatnot. Yeah. Um, obviously you have to refresh yourself, but you know, so why not spend this time where I, I'm not being requested to DJ to really get the other stuff going and, and eventually kind of open up to everything again. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, I want to wrap up with asking you what I ask all of my guests for this series. Um, and it's min mainly if someone walked up to you tomorrow, maintaining a safe social distance and um, said, and it's a, a woman or female identified non-binary individual, pretty much anyone other than a, a straight man and okay. said, um, listen, I'm getting ready to get into, I think I'm just going to take the plunge. I'm going to get into DJing. I've been in the music industry for a long time. I've kind of come at it from the business background. I think I just want to do this. I'm going to take the leap. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that person knowing what you know now? Okay. Number one, I would say, don't overthink it. Just do. I think that the big thing that holds a lot of people back is, I mean, everybody knows this, but sometimes you really have to say it out loud. I think fear holds people back from trying things. They say, when you look at like bloggers, for example, the biggest tendency for bloggers to start a blog and never finish you have to keep going. You can't just start it and then just fall off because you're not seeing like, you know, the overnight success. If you really care about it and you really love it, even if it's not your full-time job, even if it's just something you do for your friends at a barbecue in the beginning, 
don't give up. Like if that's something you really want, then just keep going and understand that each of those little things is a success in themselves. You did it. You bought the equipment, you're teaching yourself or you're going to his class or whatever it is. You played for a bunch of your friends. They liked it. That's enough. That's okay. And that, and you know, even if that's as far as you ever take it or as far as it ever goes for you, it's still good to know that you gave it a shot. So that's first and yeah. foremost, you got to give it a shot. Um, secondly, I'd say, I am a strong believer if you're going to do something, do it properly. So whatever that means to you, it may not be the same way I saw DJing with learning with, you know, in vinyl and this and that. But if you're going to do something, give it, give it its, its, its purest form. Let yourself really learn what it means to be a DJ. Research DJs, watch DJs listen to music, get, get yourself immersed in it and whatever that means to you. It may not be the same to me, but immerse yourself in it and do it proper. Give it its full go. And then um, third, I would say, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and ask for things you want. There's a proper level to do that. Obviously, if you're not getting the response you want, you have to have some kind of social know-how when to pull back and to redirect or to go after something a little bit different or somebody a little different. But don't be scared to put yourself out there. Pete, you're only as good as the ideas that you have, right? You have to put those ideas out to people and say, hey, I've thought about myself in this way. How are you, do you see it back? And let them think about it and, and sell yourself because you're your own best cheerleader. Nobody's ever going to cheerlead for you the way you are going to cheerlead for yourself. So do it with a respectful understanding that it won't always get accepted. That's okay. You know, no one to pull back, but no one to push. Nice. All right. I've got, don't overthink it. Just do it and give it a shot. Number two, if you're going to do it, do it properly, whatever that means to you, but make sure you research it and get it done properly. Number three, don't be afraid um, to ask for what you want. You got to put it out there and make sure you listen to the cues. I love those. Those are perfect. Very, very New York, I have to say. <laughs> Sounds very East Coast. Yeah, I love it. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for giving us your time today. I know you're extremely busy and I appreciate all of your stupendous candor about the music industry and everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. And you're such a great leader too. We love watching your podcast and thank you for having me. It's a true honor to be on here today. So thank you for that. Thank you. And for everyone listening, we've been talking with Lindsay Love. You can find out more about her and all of her services on www.lindsaylove.com. You can find my Instagram. It's just at Lindsay Love, at L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-L-U-V. And there I am. And until we speak again next time, remember to stay in love with the world and always bet on yourself. Slug check.